over the next uh, couple of weeks as Chris and, and as we're studying scripture like we began last week, that we would see moments where we can influence others with the gospel. Uh, maybe it's not fly fishing. Maybe you're, maybe you're not a fisherman. Uh, maybe you, you can't stand even thinking about uh, fishing. Uh, but but I'm, I'm assuming that you have something uh, that you could use for the sake of, of the gospel. And like we said last week, uh, quit waiting for a burning bush to appear in your life, but instead see the cross See the empty grave, see Christ's resurrected life, see him ruling and reigning, and in that, let that be your burning bush. And then with that, see those words that, or heed those words that the Lord is uh, sharing with you or telling you, and in obedience, follow, follow him and use your life uh, as an influencer for, uh, for the world and for the gospel. I mean, use moments uh, like lunch or dinner. Uh, use moments when you're at the senior center or at work. Use moments when you're in the teacher's lounge uh, or the, the break room. Use moments when you're uh, in an actual like you know job uh, meeting and people have no hope in those meetings because of what the numbers look like. And uh, in those moments say, you know what, but there is hope. Uh, there's hope in Christ. I mean, even at holy, righteous, Baptist meetings that happen in uh, other parts of the states, uh, you know, a, a gathering of all our Baptists together, we get together and we, we talk about numbers and crunch the numbers and how things are pitiful. And we, we never preach the gospel even to ourselves. We never see the hope that is in Christ. I said one of the things that uh, just, and I'm rambling, this is not in notes, but uh, just so you know, into our Baptist uh, convention on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I left there with no hope. I mean, I left there with uh, desperation, like we have a needy God, a God who's not in control. And I just want to remind you that we don't. We have an incredible Savior. I mean, read Psalm 111. I mean, we have this incredible Savior, this incredible God who is still ruling and reigning. Let's just go to Scripture. Turn to Moses. Or Moses turn to Exodus chapter 3. And we'll continue on talking about influence and about how we can influence uh, the world together with the gospel. I know there's confusion about that. I and mean, we talked about last week what the gospel is, and hopefully you've been memorizing, thinking through uh, that in Christ alone there is no more condemnation. Uh, because of what Christ has done, we can be clothed in righteousness, and we do have something worthy to be shared, worthy to use our lives as influencers for. Uh, we talked a little bit about Moses last week, that God is calling him out to go and be his representatives. Uh, the same for us. If we've have, if we have confessed Christ as Lord, and he's Lord over us or Lord of our life, then we become his Ministers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this. We become his ministers of reconciliation. We also become his ambassadors or his representatives. So if you were to, if you were to, to go today, uh, hop on a plane and go to Malaysia uh, with your U.S. passport, uh, and that would be your only identification of, like, this is who you are, you might have to fill out a form to say, declare what you do. What is it that you do? What is it that you do? Uh, and on that customs form, you would have to begin thinking about who am I? Uh, what, what am I doing? I'm a school teacher. I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. Whatever it is, you know, you, you begin to write those things, write those things down. Uh, normally, when we go into a, a country that's closed, like uh, Malaysia, that's not receptive to the gospel, doesn't want to hear about Christ at all, is closed to that. Uh, we we normally don't put on there. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, who's coming to save all the Muslims. Uh, because when we put those things on on the forms, usually they would say, Hey, I appreciate your honesty go home you, you can't come in here so so we we try you know we think uh we have to you know go in as spies or or go in under under cover or whatever uh and unfortunately uh we we tend to think the same way here 
uh, that we as missionaries are under like this covert operation that we're we're spies in this in this nation of uh, New Mexico and and in my in my you know company that I work for and so I'm covertly trying to covertly you know witness and share the good news because it's it's good but it's not that good that I'm just going to be open about it and just be influencing everyone with I'm just going to secretly uh, influence whoever might might ask and we're not bold in our proclamation or our bold and our influencing. And so we, we, we talked a little bit about Moses being this influencer, about hearing God uh, through this burning bush moment, speaking to him, God coming down uh, and saying, I want to rescue my people. And I'm going to send you as this representative to go out and, uh, and proclaim the word of the Lord. So think about Moses' timeline a little bit, okay, from birth to, uh, to where we are in the story. Uh, you, you catch up to him in chapter 2 there. <laughs> And we know that his people, the Hebrews or the Israelites, have been under oppression. And in, in, in chapter 1, verse 13, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. So the Israelites were, were lording themselves over. They had the taskmaster, the king, the Pharaoh, who's uh, working over or putting the Israelites into slavery, ruthlessly ruling over them, uh, making them work, agonizing over labor. And so because of this, um, God is in need of rescuing his people. And then in chapter 2, we see about uh, Moses' birth, that he was born a Hebrew slave, but he was raised by an Egyptian princess. Uh, we see that uh, his, his name means to draw out because Moses was born, he's placed in a little basket, floats on the river, and then, uh, then they rescue him from the river, they dream out of the, river, out of the water or out of the river, and uh, they begin to save him in the, in the process of, of making him this uh, somewhat of an Egyptian uh, prince. So he's a, a born, born a Hebrew and born a Hebrew slave, but he's raised by an Egyptian princess. I mean, who else doesn't, I mean, who doesn't want that? You know, today, like, how many of you are waiting for um, uh, the Lord's inheritance, like all of it? I want to, I want to inherit all those cattle on all those hills that he has for my, for my sake. Like, I want all those things. Like, I was born a slave. Do you see my life? Can you please rescue me and make me a princess or a prince or whatever the, the case may be? We're longing for that. So Moses, Moses kind of has this moment, like this ideal great moment, like this blessed life. You're born a slave. But you get to be raised by by the king or the king's daughter. I mean, what a what an incredible incredible moment. She named him Moses because she said, "I drew him out of the water." The name Moses sounds like that Hebrew word, drawing out. So here's Moses; he's being drawn out of the water. It's interesting because he's drawn out to be sent out in a way. Uh, think about John chapter six, starting in verse thirty-five. Jesus said to them, "I'm the bread of life." Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do we really believe those words? I mean, when Jesus is saying that, are we trusting in his, in his words? Are we telling people that this week? Are we saying, hey, guess what? Christ is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. He goes on, Jesus goes on to say uh, in verse 36 of John chapter 6, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the, of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And verse 44 says this, no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him out. He, he will then raise him up on the last day. He's drawing him out. He draws Moses out of the water, names him this Hebrew word, draws out to be sent, to be sent out. Uh, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we have this Father we have this heavenly Father, this Creator God, who is a God of drawing and a God of sending. 
If you've responded to the gospel, if you've confessed Christ as Lord, Christ has drawn you out, out of sin, out of slavery, out of the pit. And now in that, he's sending you out to go and be his representatives, to go and be his ambassador for the sake of the one that drew you out, for the sake of the one who rescued you. I mean, in the moment there with Moses being drawn out of the water and being raised by this Egyptian princess or Pharaoh's daughter, uh, we're seeing that probably everything that he, that he became uh, was given credit to Pharaoh, the place that he lived, the food that he ate, the work that he was a part of, all these things. Though he was recognized as a Hebrew, people knew who he was being raised by. Though he looked like all the slaves, for whatever reason, he wasn't a slave and was being raised by, by Pharaoh's daughter, being a part of Pharaoh's dynasty, being a part of Pharaoh's inheritance. It's a crazy moment, and maybe you're already thinking about Hebrews 11 that we'll get to in a moment as, as Moses declares, like, I'm not going to count all these things as something to be granted, to, to be, uh, to be holding on to, but instead I'm going to see them as fleeting things, things that need to go, to go away. So we're, we're moving through Moses' timeline. He's born. He's drawn out. And now he's, uh, he's in this middle of being, uh, this, this moment of being burnt out. Uh, in chapter 3, we see uh, this moment where, where Moses sees the state of the people, his people. One day, verse 11 of chapter 2, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So he sees their oppression. He sees their need. He sees uh, their burdens. He goes out. He knows that they're his people. I mean, I, I, he, he hasn't forgotten. He's being raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and he's a part of this great kingdom. Uh, but he also remembers that he's a, he's, an, he's a part of this other kingdom or this other people. He also belongs to these people. And one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He saw the burdens of the people. He had compassion on them. He, he had this moment of like, what, what can we do to help? What can we do to rescue these people? He saw the oppression. He saw the burdens. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, just a little side note, he didn't do a good job of looking both ways because we'll see in a moment that someone did actually see him uh, in his murdering of this Egyptian. He looked this way, and he looked that way. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. I will just kind of point this out to you. When we try and do things in our own power, our own might, our own ways, oftentimes it leads to more and more sin. When we're not depending on, upon God or his Holy Spirit or Christ to, to lead us the way, uh, most of the time it leads to more sin. When we try and take things on our own power, uh, Moses took matters into his own hand. He, took, he, he had uh, great empathy he, he saw the burden. He had compassion for what was going on, but instead of uh, looking to the Lord to lead him or guide him, he took matters into his own hand. I would even say in this moment, maybe even Moses, is thinking, these people, they need a rescuer. These people need someone to come and bring them out of slavery, someone to rescue them. But they're getting beat up. Like, what are we going to do to, to save them? I mean, maybe you heard news yesterday of, of tragedy that happens in, in Pittsburgh, and maybe you're thinking, there needs to be 
a rescuer. There needs to be somebody. What are we going to do? And maybe even anger begins to rise up. What are we going to do about these people? And then you hear reports and you see what one side is saying is going to solve this and another side is saying this is going to solve it and this is going to resolve everything. And then even in those moments you're like, no, if, if people try and do those things, I'm going to rise up against even even that. It's the same with, uh, with, with tragic events like abortion. Like what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing to try and stop these things? What are we doing to try and change it? If I raise up this rescue or I appoint people to this resource or if we help people in this way or if they would just follow these rules then maybe, maybe everyone would be rescued out of this injustice. You try and have compassion. You try and have those rescuing moments. Maybe you're, maybe you're like Moses even. You're like, if they just knew who I was, like if they just see, see me, maybe they'll, maybe they'll see me and and in their seeing of me, maybe they'll be rescued from whatever they're in. And we begin to take matters into our own hand. I just want to repeat to you from Matthew chapter 9, and I think many of you already have this memorized. But Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their own synagogues. And this is why Jesus is a greater Moses. This is why Moses and Jesus are very similar but Jesus is who we should be looking to as our redeemer or as a rescuer or the one that we're actually following. Because he went out throughout all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, remember Moses, when he was old, he grew up and he saw his people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Moses is the same way. He sees his Hebrew brother in slavery and he... He wants to do something. He wants to help rescue. He has compassion. He had compassion for them because, Jesus says, because they were harassed and helpless. These people, these Israelites, these Hebrews that Moses are seeing are people who are harassed and helpless. They're in need of something. But what's the answer? Jesus says they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Moses looks at his people as harassed, as helpless, as people in need of what? He says, as people in need of, of power, of might, of a rescuing. And I'm going to do that by my own strength, by my own, by my own mind, by my own might. I'm going to go in and I'm going to rescue these people. So I would say in your, in your daily struggle with sin or against sin, in your daily struggle with pride and arrogance, like don't let those things rise up to think that you are the rescuer, that by your own power, by your own might, you can rescue your family or your friends or your neighborhood or your whole town. By my own power, I can do this. Don't let those things rise up in you, but instead be like Christ. See that they're harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In this moment, uh, Matthew chapter 9 and Exodus chapter 2, there is a good answer. There's a right answer. Jesus gives us this right answer. Their need of a shepherd, of the good shepherd, their need of a redeemer, one to come down and live among them, to rescue them from the pit that they're in. Moses thought that he could just murder, and that murder would solve the problem. Maybe if I kill all the Egyptians, then that will solve the problem of sin and slavery and oppression and agony and all these things that they're going through. Maybe if I just rescue them by my own might, maybe, maybe then they will be, they will be rescued. Verse 13 of Exodus chapter 2. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling against each other. It's interesting because we, we had compassion on the Hebrew who's, who's fighting against his master, the taskmaster, who's uh, fighting him, who's whipping him to, to work more. 
oh, these terrible, it's this, the state that the, the Israelites are in, the Hebrews, it's just a, a terrible moment. Like we have compassion for their slavery. But yet even in their slavery, they're sinners. Even in their slavery, they're fighting against one another. Even in their slavery, still sin is rising up. And these two Hebrews were struggling against each other. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your, compa- your companion? And he answered him, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? It's a good question. Who did? Who drew Moses out of the water? Who put him in this place? Who put you in the place that you're in today? Like, Why do you have the job that you have? And I would say this, just challenge you. If it's not from the Lord, quit. Find the job that the Lord wants you to have. Who put you in the place that you're in today? If you're in Lovington and you feel like the Lord has placed you here, continue to work and, and be influencers of the gospel f- for the world. But if God is not the one that's brought you here, find out where he would desire for you to go. Who made you a prince? Who made you judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Remember I told you he didn't look every way. He looked this way and that way, murdered the Egyptian, hit him in the sand, but obviously there was an audience. There's always someone, there's always someone watching. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard, heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down at a well. So here's what's happening. I think this is interesting. Uh, Moses flees uh, this, this place. Uh, they didn't go and try and uh, bring him back with a warrant of slavery saying, hey, we have to bring you back to, uh, to Egypt because you're supposed to be a slave, but we've been lenient on you and uh, gracious to you and allowed you to live in this house. No, uh, they're pursuing him. Pharaoh's pursuing him because he is a murderer, because he's a sinner. And the only way for, for, uh, for, um, for really for Moses to be justified in this moment maybe is for him to go into the wilderness, to, for him to go and be a shepherd, for him to go and lead a flock, for him to go and meet a shepherd, to be married to a shepherd, to, be, to belong to a shepherd, to be owned by a shepherd, Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what should we as followers do, Jesus says? He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. What are the laborers supposed to be doing? What are ambassadors supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be out uh, as, as the shepherd has sent us out into the harvest, representing the good shepherd. And so, so Moses Throughout his timeline here, uh, he's, he's burnt out with the Egyptians. He doesn't know how to, uh, by his own power and his might, it didn't work. So he goes and lives in the wilderness. He becomes a shepherd. He marries into a shepherd's family, and they have a, a child. Uh, verse uh, 22 says this, She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is important. Moses names his son Gershom, a foreigner. A sojourner in a foreign land, a stranger in a foreign land, someone who does not belong here. This is important that he names his son this. He recognizes that this is not the way it should be. He recognizes this isn't the, this isn't the place that he should be living in. He recognizes that something is wrong, and so he even names his son that. So when he's mad at his son and he yells his name, he was a reminder of, hey, I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger. I'm just a traveler. I'm a migrant. I'm someone who's moving from one place to another. This is not my forever home. I mean, you've done that, right? 
Like my mom and dad always, when they yelled at me, like they were, I've told you before, a number of times, I'm trying to remind you, often, when my mom and dad would yell at me, they would yell, Matt Harvey, right? Which means gift from God. Matt means gift from God. So when they're yelling at me and I'm in trouble, hey, Matt, I'm like, hey, don't, don't forget, you're yelling gift of God, right? So here we are, Moses and his wife yelling at their son, reminding themselves, we are travelers. We are not staying here. We are sojourners in a foreign land. Moses saw the need. He had compassion. There were people in need of help. I'm just going to ask you this morning, what's going to help your people? What's going to help the people that you have influence over? What's going to help your enemy, your neighbor, your spouse, your child, your, your grandchild? I mean, even more deeply than that, what's going to help your fear, your anxiety? What's going to help your death? And hopefully we're, we're pointing people to the good shepherd. Hopefully we're pointing people to say, we have a great shepherd. We have the greatest shepherd. We have the goodest shepherd. We have Christ who came down from heaven to live here among us, to rescue us, to live perfectly so he could be the final sacrifice, so that we could have hope, so that we could conquer all things because he has conquered all things. Then we get to this burning bush story that we talked about last week where where Moses is called out. So Moses uh, sees um, this burning bush and he walks over to it and he begins to recognize that something is is, uh, majestic about this, something is holy about this, something is supernatural about this. Uh, And God calls out or speaks to him, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Verse 5 says this, then he said, do not come near me, chapter 3, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. A quick reminder, how is this place holy ground? Because God is there. Not because of the fire, not because of the bush, not because of the uh, geographic location, not because it's out in the wilderness, but because God is there. That's what makes this place holy. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. He has this holy, reverent fear of God. He hid his face. Face. And the Lord goes on to say in verse 7, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I know their suffering. They have a God who knows everything. He knows the suffering even that you're going through now. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Just side note, another side note here. We recognize, we have to recognize, even today as believers, as followers of Jesus, you are not doing the rescuing. Moses, you're not going to do the rescuing here. You're not the redeemer. But instead, God is coming down to rescue us. And we're about to celebrate Christmas. Christ coming, God coming down to earth to be among us, Emmanuel. That God would be among us, living among us to rescue us. God coming down. We represent the God who left his place and came down to rescue his people. I know they're suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of them, out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites. We'll skip all the other ites. Verse 9, And now behold, the cry of the, the people of Israel has come to me and I've seen their oppression with the, which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh, this is really the same similar call that we have in our own lives from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses to the world. Whatever the world is, to your neighborhood, to your family, to our state, to our county, to our nation, to our continent, 
to the entire world, that we would be witnesses, that we would be influencers with the gospel, that we would share with people, God has come down to rescue us. The slavery and oppression that you're in, biblically the sin that you're in, Christ has come to rescue you from that. Not by your own work, by your own righteousness, not by the work that I'm doing representing him, but instead all for the sake of Christ. I mean, we, we get caught up in the land flowing with milk and honey. We, we get caught up in the broad land, the good land. And we forget that this God has come down to rescue us. And then Moses begins as he's being called out to do what we all do and come up with great excuses. So we see Moses being born and drawn out. Then we see him being burnt out. Just uh, I don't know what's going what's to happen. We see him uh, now being called out. And in his calling out, he comes up with these great excuses. And we'll quickly move through them together. Moses says, who am I? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You're thinking the same thing. But who am I? Who am I to go and represent Christ? Do you know my sin? Some of you I do. Yet Christ still wants to use you for his glory, to represent him. I mean, that's the gospel, that you and I are both sinners, but but because of Christ we become saints. And because we become saints, because we've been freed from our sin, we can represent him as these ministers of reconciliation, as these ambassadors of Christ, these new life people. Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I to go to my neighbor? Who am I to go to my spouse? Who am I to go to my boss or my teacher? Who am I to go to my co-worker? Who am I to go to this family long lost that we, uh, we had as cousins of fight and they'll never listen to me again? Who am I to, to go and represent, to represent Christ? Can I just remind you it's not about you? Moses. God just gave you these words that it's not even going to be about you. But normally when we begin to make excuses, always our first excuse is, is this who am I? This, this excuse of, it's about me. I just want to remind you again and again and again to deny self, take a cross and follow Jesus, that it's not about you. Moses goes on to say, well, I don't know you well enough. And he said, but I will be with you, God saying, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and they say to, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Some of you are in this place too. Well, I don't know well God enough. I, I don't know God well enough. <laughs> Can't even speak English good enough. I don't know you well enough, God. Who, who am I? And not only that, I don't know who I am. I don't even know, who you are. God, I don't know you well enough. What, what am I supposed to do? Study, read, listen. Be quick to listen. Study more. Meditate on God's word. Memorize it. Learn more about Christ. Read his words and see his works and say, I will find endless joy in these things and these things alone. Know the Father. Ask the Father. Father, can I grow in my knowledge of you? Not to boast about those things, but so I can know more and more about how incredibly great you are. Moses, what shall I do? Well, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. What if you tried that this week? What if you tried that this week? When you go and represent Christ, you share his words, and somebody says, who are you to share these things with me? Look, I'm no one. Guarantee that. But it ain't about me. Can I just tell you who is sending me? 
Share more about God than about yourself. That's what I love about great people like Eugene Peterson, who's now with the Lord, writing uh, hundreds of books about just uh, how incredibly great the Lord is. Uh, People that have gone on before us that their whole testimony is about Christ and how great our Savior is. Uh, His excuse number three is they won't believe or listen to me. How many of you have thought that already? If I go share with these people, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to really uh, trust that that I'm being sent by uh, the great I am. How will they know? How will they know that that you're the one that's sending me? Uh, He also says, well, I don't speak well. And to which God responds, of course you don't speak well. That's only Dory and Jonah. They're the only ones that speak well. It's not about us. It's not about how good you can speak or how well you can speak. It's about the words of life. It's about the everlasting Savior. It's about God coming down with us to rescue us. It's about sharing who he is. And then his final excuse is, Lord, could you please send someone else? Could you please send someone else? Your homework is to read those excuses in three and four because I know some of you have popcorn at home that's already popped and you're waiting to eat that. I don't speak well. Send someone else. They won't believe me. They won't listen to me. I don't know you well enough. Who, who am I? Can't, isn't there someone else? Isn't there like a priest or someone who's paid to do these things? I mean, really, I'm only a, a shepherd. <laughs> or maybe it's a, I'm not available at the moment. But at some moment, Moses remembered. Remembered the covenant. He remembered who God was and is, is going to be. And he decided to be obedient to God and God alone. And so God sent him out to go and be this influencer, to be this witness, to go and share the word of the Lord to the people. Ironically, he had to share it with people that some of them already knew him. Some of the people that he went and shared it with were people that he grew up with, people that uh, saw him murder, people that saw him, that knew that he was a Hebrew and they were all in slavery. And here he is getting to to live the great life in in the Pharaoh's uh, palace. So it's a difficult situation, full of excuses, and many of you can find a number of excuses today or tomorrow and not sharing the words of the Lord. But at some point you have to. You have to migrate from you and migrate to the Father. And the only way to do that is through Christ. You have to travel from who you are across the great divide through Christ to who God is. Forgetting about your own righteousness, forgetting about your own holiness, forgetting about your own sin, and pointing your eyes and fixing your eyes upon the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus. Pointing to the things that really matter. You have to, this week, migrate from fleeting things, from finding life and hope and joy and fullness of pleasure and righteousness and justification to maximizing the eternal king. You have to move from that place. And I, the only way I can tell you that that happens is through Christ. It's through you begging and pleading with the Lord, like John chapter 6 talks to you. I, I believe that you are the bread of life. I believe that I read those scriptures, but, but I have this unbelief in me. So please transform me into your righteousness. I mean, Moses, one of his excuses, I'm sure, uh, as he's going through this, or his thoughts, is that this is an okay place. Like, I've come to find this place, even though I've named my son that I'm a, a sojourner, a traveler, uh, just a, a visitor of this land, still I've come to enjoy this place. I've come to find pleasure in these things. And Christians, 
if we keep finding joy in money and stuff and food and play and relationships and fleeting things, will we ever convince or influence anyone with the gospel? I mean, migratory behavior, this is so interesting in migratory behavior. We have cranes and geese and animals like reindeer and elk who migrate from one place to another because of lack of food or lack of sustenance or lack of life-providing things. And so they begin to travel from one place to another. But it's interesting. There are always a few who hang out and work through and push through the harsh winter. They scrounge around and they find things that they feel like are going to give them uh, life-sustaining life. I mean, there's an elk herd uh, just here in, uh, in Riodosa and, and, and Cloudcroft in that mountain range. I mean, elk are a migratory animal. They move from wintering uh, grounds to, uh, to back to uh, spring places. They migrate from one place to another. Or for whatever reason, this elk herd over here has decided they can find the life-sustaining things that they need in this place. They've found adequate supply. And I think there are too many Christians who've decided, you know what, the things of this world are enough. I'm finding pleasure and joy in these things. And just like these permanent resident elk or permanent resident geese that don't migrate from one place to another or have forgotten that they are travelers or sojourners or visitors in this land, I'm going to do my best to find life-sustaining things year-round in this place. What's getting away? What's getting in the way of your influence of the gospel? Are, are you like Moses and just making excuses? You're like me and walking around every day saying, these things in this earth, these things are, are great, and forgetting that Christ is greater. And often I find myself like Matthew 19, 21 and 22 declare about this rich young ruler. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come after that and follow me. And when the rich young ruler heard about this or heard these words from Christ, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And we think about these things that we're holding on to and these things that we're holding on to are getting in the way of our influence of the gospel. Is Christ it? If he is it, let us treasure him above all things. That's interesting to me. Moses, this great influencer. I mean, he's, he knows that he's in a temporary place. He remembers the covenant. He remembers about the promised land. He remembers this, this truth from God, these words from God. Yet he doesn't get to go. Because he's not the redeemer. He doesn't go into the promised land. He's not the redeemer. He's not the rescuer. He's the messenger. He's not the one rescuing. He's the one telling about the rescuer. Who gets to lead them into the promised land? Joshua. You know what Joshua means? Yahweh is salvation. You know what Jesus means? Yahweh is salvation. Who leads us to the promised land? Jesus. Jesus leads us to the promised land. We cannot forget that we are sojourners, exiles, And so because of that, because we are traveling from one place to another, we must abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul. 
God, who faithfully fulfilled his promise to save his people out of Egypt, is the one who came to earth to redeem his people, to bring them to the new and better promised land through Jesus. Moses didn't get to lead the people to the promised land. That was left to Joshua. And now we, as messengers of the rescuer, we tell people Yahweh is salvation, that Jesus leads us to the promised land, that there is no other way to the Father except through Christ. I'll end with these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw only the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we recognize you and only you as Lord. God, you have a desire to rescue us. You've shown that desire through the completed work of Jesus. So God, call out people this morning. Send them out. Draw them out of their sin and darkness. Rescue them, those who have not been rescued, and send us out as your representatives because we have such great hope, because we have such a great Savior. God, help us not to forget your majesty or your supremacy. God, help us to daily be reminded of what Christ has done, of what he's doing, and what he's going to do. God, thank you that we can rest in you, that we can trust in your covenant promise, that we can have assurance, full assurance of what you've done for us and trust wholeheartedly in you. And in so doing, as you send us out, that we can go in confidence. I'll work through us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.